1: This Tennis.com podcast is brought to you by ASICs. Sound mind, sound body. to the tennis.com podcast and here's your host ed
0: mcgrogan hey everyone the second round of the french open is wrapped up i am ed mcgrogan here speaking with steve tigner who's out in paris covering the tournament you've seen his post for on the site tennis.com concrete elbow blog today steve you wrote about both maria sharapova and kim Kleister's. Um Kleister's really early in the morning here back in the states lost Um, In three sets after holding two match points against Arantxa Rus, um, really a total surprise how this match ended up going. And then later in the day, Sharapova looked like she was on her way out against uh, a young 17-year-old French wild card. Um, And she ends up coming back in three sets, winning the last 11 games. Caroline Garcia is the name you'll probably know in the future, too. So why don't you just kind of compare how those two players played, basically. Yeah, well <clears throat> Kim was leading but it was a
2: little bit deceptive because uh Rus um Russ, Arancha Russ was um she was just missing it at the beginning. She's she's um before this match she'd won eleven matches total as a pro in her career. Um and Kim was up six three, five two. It seemed like a no- normal normal day, normal early round match. But when she couldn't close it out, she just she almost seemed to give up. Uh, you know, she she didn't have it. Obviously, she was a little rusty. She hasn't been um, she hasn't played in a while and has been injured. And this girl played well, but there wasn't much fight from Kleisters through the third set at all. She was pretty much, you know, she didn't do anything different to change the rhythm of the match. Whereas Sharapova, I would say she, this was a this was not necessarily a case where. Sharapova won by fighting through. She gave herself a chance by just by hanging in mentally. But this was a case of a young player who was playing really well, suddenly realizing where she was and who she was playing against in the situation, and then and then um, really playing, really just collapsing. Uh, there's no other way to just put it. Uh, but I think the most exciting and interesting thing of the day was was that girl was um, Caroline Garcia. She's really somebody that. I think, as far as a teenager, the type of game she has, as in and the way she plays, not only do you think of her as a potential top ten player. Andy Murray got a good, a good look at her for a few minutes and said she's going to be number one in the world someday. Um, but I think you look at her as an exciting type of player as well. Great forehand, great movement. Um, diff you know, not not the you know sort of run of the mill. In, uh, in the WTA, so it's definitely somebody new to look for.
0: Yeah, While well, all that was uh, wrapping up the Sharapova-Garcia match uh, here back on ESPN2, they're doing the split screen with Nadal, his match with Pablo Andahar. Uh, Nadal coming off the five-setter, first time ever, with John Isner in the first round. And he didn't make things uh, kind of reset the switch, go back to that conventional early-round dominant performance, he had um, definitely kind of all match, some trouble putting Andohar away, and then the third set, Andohar ends up missing on eight set points, so this really should have gone four for sure. Uh, What did you see out of that one, and I guess, what can you say about Nadal after two rounds of play? I guess the first thing I would say is not, it's not
2: maybe the most important in the long run, but Andohar played a great match. He, He said he, um, had been watching how Djokovic played Nadal, obviously would, and he he tried to imitate that. He 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 um, played up in the court. He played. He never seemed to be more than about six inches behind the baseline. Often right on the baseline, he took everything early. He used his two-handed backhand to move Nadal around. He, Nadal was pretty much on the defensive even when he was winning points. Um, so. That was, you know, this is maybe this is this sort of new model, the Djokovic model. People have seen it. This is maybe the first example that we have of, of a guy who's seen it and and tried to implement it. Couldn't quite do it. But I thought I liked the way he he fought Rafa. He, you know, you sort of typically think of this other Spaniard as maybe showing a little too much respect to Nadal, but but um, did until he until he came to the came to the crucial moments, he couldn't finish it. I didn't think Rafa played that badly. A lot of everybody says that he did. Even he said he played nervously. He didn't move that well. He's not playing great. He's practicing well, but he's not playing that well in the matches. He doesn't have this usual confidence. He's hitting a little short. He has to figure out a way um, to get more on the offensive. But I sort of felt like Andujar played well, and Nadal did, you know,
0: Very well to beat him in straight sets. Yeah, I thought the by the end of the third. I mean, basically at the turning point, the one five portion of the third set. That's when I think we pretty much saw Rafa at at some of his best, certainly of the day. But you know, it just reminded you of what we're kind of customary to seeing of him at Roland Garros, and he got those five games, and then in the tiebreaker um, took an early lead um, and ended up not having to not having to go four, which. Obviously, a good deal, I think, for most top seeds. The key the early rounds is try to just get by, you know, with as little mileage as possible. He ends up avoiding Nikolai Davidenko next round. He loses, he lost today to, um, can't can't pronounce his name, Vach, I believe, but that's who Nadal gets next, and, um, and so we'll see where he goes from there.
1: The longest professional tennis match lasted 11 hours, 5 minutes, and took more than 3 days to finish. During the match, there were 980 total points played, 138 games, 2,189 strokes, and 489 backhands. And combined, the players spent over 11 hours on their feet. Just imagine how much longer they could have gone if they were wearing the Asics Gel Resolution 3, with a Flexion Fit upper for extra stability. It's engineered to go deep into the fifth set. ASICS. Sound mind, sound body.
0: Sizing things up for Friday at the French is a big third rounder, which a lot of people predicted would happen as soon as they saw the brackets. Djokovic and Juan Martín del Potro both won their first two matches. Del Potro seeded 25. That's why this match between two guys that are really traditionally highly ranked is going to happen so early. Uh, Pete Bodo just wrote his preview, it's on the site, check that out, but uh, Steve, let's get your take on know you're going to be there tomorrow watching it, what do you think about this match uh, going in?
2: Well, Djokovic has never lost to Del Potre, he's never really been troubled by him, I remember a few years ago, when Del Potre was first coming up, and people thought this was going to be a really good match, Djokovic just, really just crushed him, um, but I don't. I'm not sure why that's such a good been such a good matchup for Djokovic. So, Potro is he's looked good. He won his last match. He sort of made it. You know, he was very solid. He made a comeback in the third set after um, being down a break. So, there's always the you know he will challenge him. There is that he can hit with him. He can probably even out hit him on certain days. But um, the Potro. Just lacks obviously lacks the match toughness and confidence of, jo- uh, does, of Djokovic right now, and he's also maybe there's a little bit of fitness issue. He hasn't played a tournament in a couple weeks. Um, he looked a little winded at times in his last match. Though so that's sort of typically the way he looks before he kills you. Um, I just think you know Djokovic has kept proving us wrong in that this streak is going to end, and I don't think. Just the fact that he is he's, has the good ma- matchup in the past against Del Potro. I think I think Djokovic will will win again. He um he just doesn't have any feeling of losing for a long time. Even even in the last match against Hinescu. right when he needed a break, he hadn't had one in the first set. Right when he needed one to win the
0: set, he got one. Yeah, it does seem like there's a lot stacked against uh, anybody who's playing Djokovic, of course, at this point. So so there's that, and then that's the last match um, on Chartrier. And we were looking at the schedule just now. On Long On tomorrow, we're going to see both Carolyn Wozniacki and Roger Federer on that court. Federer, this is the second match in a row he's played there. And I'm thinking about this, I haven't been over to Roland Garros, but I... You know, it's kind of inconceivable for me to, to think of like the USCA putting Federer on Armstrong, for example. He did a couple of years ago because there was a, a huge weather issue or something. But under normal circumstances, uh, it seems pretty far-fetched. But now he's on there twice. Wozniacki on there. She was supposed to be on there earlier. What's um? Can you kind of is there any comparison between the these secondary show courts of these majors?
2: Well, yeah, Chatrier and Ash and Longlawn Lawn and, Longlon and um, Armstrong are fairly comparable. Longlawn is a more – I think it's a bigger stadium. It feels like more of a stadium. Uh, Nadal played there. Nadal and Federer typically play there once a year where you just don't see those guys out in Armstrong very often. Um, I've seen Nadal and Federer each out in Armstrong once, and that was like each like four or five years ago but um, one thing is that the french sell sell these tickets completely separately whereas if you have a ticket in ash you can go into armstrong if you it's sold differently here's people who don't have an expensive ticket for Chatrier. i think the french french open wants to give people outside of who don't who don't buy the big the expensive Chatrier ticket a chance to see these guys once and that's that's i think that's one reason they Put them on Langlant because you can't. If you have a ticket for Chatrier, you can't go into Langland. If you have a ticket for Langland, you can't go into Chatrier. Um, so, so I think that's that's one thing. But yeah, it's very unusual to have Feder out there twice. One of the reasons is there's there's they always put the French players in the, at least one French male and one French woman in the in the big stadium tomorrow. Bartoli and are in there. Wozniacki, she started out, you know, she probably should feel lucky she's in Langland. She started out in the further court, court one, the third court, which is the equivalent of the U.S. Open's grandstand. If you can imagine the number one woman in the world starting in the grandstand, that's where Wozniacki was scheduled to start. So the French do it their own way. They also, you know, it's just the tickets are sold differently. Um, there's not as much freedom for the fans. So they, I think they spread out these players a little more.
0: The French certainly do do it their own way. I think that's a good way to put it. That end this uh, podcast here. Um, we apologize if there's been any technical glitches. We had some, uh, you know, transatlantic travel, of course, going on here. So uh, I'm Ed McGrogan. We'll talk again with Steve Tigner later in the week. And uh, once again, thanks for listening. Come to tennis.com.
1: You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.